Chapter 14, Part 3 of The Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Title by Descent, Part 3. 4. A fourth rule or canon of descents is this, that the lineal descendants in infinitum of any person deceased shall represent their ancestor, that is, shall stand in the same place as the person himself would have done had he been living. Thus the child, grandchild, or great-grandchild, either male or female, of the eldest son succeeds before the younger son, and so infinitum. And these representatives shall take neither more nor less, but just so much as their principles would have done. As if there be two sisters, Margaret and Charlotte, and Margaret dies, leaving six daughters, and then John Stiles, the father of the two sisters, dies without other issue. These six daughters shall take among them exactly the same as their mother Margaret would have done had she been living, that is, a moiety of the lands of John Stiles in co-parsonary, so that, upon partition made, if the land be divided into twelve parts, thereof Charlotte, the surviving sister, shall have six, and her six nieces, the daughters of Margaret, one apiece. This taking by representation is called a succession in stirpes, according to the roots, since all the branches inherit the same share that their root, whom they represent, would have done. And in this manner also was the Jewish succession directed, but the Roman somewhat differed from it. In the descending line, the right of representation continued in infinitum, and the inheritance still descended in stirpes, as if one of three daughters died, leaving ten children, then the father died. The two surviving daughters had each one-third of his effects, and the ten grandchildren had the remaining third divided between them. And so among collaterals, if any person of equal degree with the persons represented were still subsisting, as if the deceased left one brother and two nephews the sons of another brother, the succession was still guided by the roots. But if both the brethren were dead leaving issue, then, I apprehend, their representatives in equal degree became themselves principals and shared the inheritance per capita, that is, share and share alike, they being themselves now the next in degree to the ancestor in their own right and not by the right of representation. So if the next heirs of Titius be six nieces, three by one sister, two by another, and one by a third, his inheritance, by the Roman law, was divided into six parts, and one given to each of the nieces, whereas the law of England, in this case, would still divide it only into three parts and distribute it per stirpes, thus one-third to the three children who represent one sister, another third to the two who represent the second, and the remaining third to the one child who is the sole representative of her mother. 
This mode of representation is a necessary consequence of the double preference given by our law, first to the male issue, and next to the firstborn among the males, to both which the Roman law is a stranger. For if all the children of the three sisters were in England to claim per capita, in their own rights as next of kin to the ancestor, without any respect to the stocks from whence they sprung, and those children were partly male and partly female, then the eldest male among them would exclude not only his own brethren and sisters, but all the issue of the other two daughters, or else the law in this instance must be inconsistent with itself, and depart from the preference which it constantly gives to the males and the firstborn among persons in equal degree. Whereas, by dividing the inheritance according to the roots or stirpes, the rule of descent is kept uniform and steady. The issue of the eldest son excludes all other pretenders, as the son himself, if living, would have done. But the issue of the two daughters divide the inheritance between them, provided their mothers, if living, would have done the same. And among these several issues, or representatives of the respective roots, the same preference to males and the same right of primogeniture obtain, as would have obtained in the first among the roots themselves, the sons or daughters of the deceased. As if a man hath two sons, A and B, and A dies leaving two sons, and then the grandfather dies. Now the eldest son of A shall succeed to the whole of his grandfather's estate, and if A had left only two daughters, they should have succeeded also to equal moieties of the whole in exclusion of B and his issue. But if a man hath only three daughters, C, D, and E, and C dies leaving two sons, D leaving two daughters, and E leaving a daughter and a son who is younger than his sister. Here, when the grandfather dies, the eldest son of C shall succeed to one-third in exclusion of the younger, the two daughters of D to another third in partnership, and the son of E to the remaining third in exclusion of his elder sister. And the same right of representation, guided and restrained by the same rules of descent, prevailed downwards in infinitum. Yet this right does not appear to have been thoroughly established in the time of Henry II when Glanville wrote. And therefore, in the title to the crown especially, we find frequent contests between the younger but surviving brother and his nephew being the son and representative of the elder deceased in regard to the inheritance of their common ancestor, for the uncle is certainly nearer of kin to the common stock by one degree than the nephew, though the nephew, by representing his father, has in him the right of primogeniture. The uncle also was usually better able to perform the services of the fife, and besides, had frequently superior interest and strength to back his pretensions and crush the right of his nephew. And even to this day, in Lower Saxony, Proximity of blood takes place of representative primogeniture. That is, the younger surviving brother is admitted to the inheritance before the son of an elder deceased, which occasioned the disputes between the two houses of Mecklenburg, Schwerin, and Strelitz in 1692. 
Yet Glanville, with us, even in the 12th century, seems to declare for the right of the nephew by representation, provided the eldest son had not received the provision in lands from his father, or, as the civil law would call it, had not been foreassimilated in his lifetime. King John, however, who kept his nephew Arthur from the throne, by disputing this right of representation, did all in his power to abolish it throughout the realm. But in the time of his son, King Henry III, we find the rule indisputably settled in the manner we have here laid it down, and so it has continued ever since, and thus much for lineal descents. 5. A fifth rule is that on failure of lineal descendants or issue of the person last seized, the inheritance shall descend to the blood of the first purchaser subject to the three preceding rules. Thus, if Geoffrey Stiles purchases land, and it descends to John Stiles, his son, and John's eyes seize thereof without issue, whoever succeeds to this inheritance must be of the blood of Geoffrey, the first purchaser of this family. The first purchaser, perquisitor, is he who first acquired the estate to his family, whether the same was transferred to him by sale, or by gift, or by any other method, except only that of descent. This is a rule almost peculiar to our own laws and those of a familiar original, for it was entirely unknown among the Jews, Greeks, and Romans, none of whose laws looked any farther than the person himself who died seized of the estate, but assigned him an heir without considering by what title he gained it or from what ancestor he derived it. But the law of Normandy agrees with our law in this respect. Nor indeed is that agreement to be wondered at, since the law of descents in both is of feudal original, and this rule or canon cannot otherwise be accounted for than by recurring to feudal principles. When feuds first began to be hereditary, it was made a necessary qualification of the heir who would succeed to a feud that he should be of the blood of, that is, lineally descended from, the first feudatory or purchaser. In consequence whereof, if a vassal died possessed of a feud of his own acquiring, or feudum novum, it could not descend to any but his own offspring, no, not even to his brother, because he was not descended, nor derived his blood from the first acquirer. But if it was feudum antiquum, that is, one descended to the vassal from his ancestors, then his brother, or such other collateral relation as would descended and derived his blood from the first feudatory, might succeed to such inheritance. To this purpose speaks the following rule. Frater frate, sine legitimo arede defuncto. In beneficio quod eorum patres fuit succedat, sin autum unis i fratibus ad domino fiudum aceperet, eo defuncto simo legitimo aered, frater eges en fiodum non succedit. The true feudal reason for which rule was this, that what was given to a man for his personal service and personal merit ought not to descend to any but the heirs of his person. And therefore, as in estate's tale, 
which a proper feud very much resembles, so in the feudal donation, nomen aredes, in prima investitura expressum, tantum ad decentes ex corpore primi vasili extendetur, et non ad collaterales, nisi ex corpore primi vasali, sives depitis descendum. The will of the donor, or original lord, when feuds were turned from life estates into inheritances, not being to make them absolutely hereditary, like the Roman allodium, but hereditary only sub modo, not hereditary to collateral relations or lineal ancestors or husband or wife of the feudatory, but to the issue descended from his body only. However, in process of time, when the feudal rigor was in part abated, a method was invented to let in the collateral relations of the grantee to the inheritance by granting him a feudum novum to hold ut feudum antiquum, that is, with all the qualities annexed of a feud derived from his ancestors, and then the collateral relations were admitted to succeed even in infinitum because they might have been the blood of, that is, descended from, the first imaginary purchaser. For since it is not ascertained in such general grants whether this feud shall be held ut feudum paternum or feodum avitum, but ut feudum antiquum merely as a feud of indefinite antiquity, that is, since it is not ascertained from which of the ancestors of the grantee this feud shall be supposed to have descended, the law will not ascertain it but will suppose any of his ancestors, pro re nada, to have been the first purchaser. And therefore, it admits any of his collateral kindred who have the other necessary requisites to the inheritance, because every collateral kinsman must be descended from some one of his lineal ancestors. Of this nature are all the grants of these simple estates of this kingdom. For there is now in the law of England no such thing as a grant of feudum novum to be held ut novum, unless in the case of a fee tail, and there we see that this rule is strictly observed, and none but the lineal descendants of the first donee or purchaser are admitted. But every grant of lands in fee simple is with us a feudum novum to be held ut antiquum, as a feud whose antiquity is indefinite, and therefore the collateral kindred of the grantee or descendants from any of his lineal ancestors by whom the lands might have possibly been purchased are capable of being called to the inheritance. Yet, when an estate hath really descended in the course of an inheritance to the person last seized, the strict rule of the feudal law is still observed, and none are admitted but the heirs of those through whom the inheritance hath passed. For all others have demonstrably none of the blood of the first purchaser in them, and therefore shall never succeed. As, if lands come to John Stiles by descent from his mother Lucy Baker, no relation of his father as such shall ever be his heir of these lands, and vice versa. If they descended from his father, Geoffrey Stiles, no relation of his mother, as such, shall ever be admitted thereto. 
for his father's kindred have none of his mother's blood, nor have his mother's relations any share of his father's blood. And so, if the estate descended from his father's father, George Stiles, the relations of his father's mother, Celia Kemp, shall for the same reason never be admitted, but only those of his father's father. This is also the rule of the French law, which is derived from the same feudal fountain. Here we may observe that, so far as the feud is really antiquum, the law traces it back and will not suffer any to inherit but the blood of those ancestors from whom the feud was conveyed to the late proprietor. But when, through length of time, it can trace no farther, as if it be not known whether his grandfather, George Stiles, inherited it from his father, Walter Stiles, or his mother, Christian Smith, or if it appeared that his grandfather was the first grantee, and so took it, by the general law, as a feud of indefinite antiquity. In either of these cases, the law admits the descendants of any ancestor of George Stiles, either paternal or maternal, to be in their due order the heirs to John Stiles of this estate, because in the first case it is really uncertain, and in the second case it is supposed to be uncertain whether the grandfather derived his title from the part of his father or his mother. This, then, is the great and general principle upon which the law of collateral inheritances depends, that upon failure of issue in the last proprietor, the estate shall descend to the blood of the first purchaser, or that it shall result back to the heirs of the body of that ancestor from whom it either really has or is supposed by fiction of law to have originally descended. According to this rule laid down in the yearbooks Fitzherbert, Brooke, and Hale, that he who would have been heir to the father of the deceased, and of course to the mother or any other purchasing ancestor, shall also be heir to the son. End of chapter 14, part 3